Hello, and welcome to the Odessa First Assembly podcast. My name is Tony, and I'm the Digital Ministry Manager here at OFA. Today we have a message for you from our sermon series titled, The Spirit-Filled Life. Throughout this series, we'll be exploring the Holy Spirit and what it means to be filled with His power in our lives. Our lead pastor, Todd Starnes, will be sharing powerful insights into this important topic. We'll also hear from myself and Derek Thurlby on different aspects of the Spirit-Filled Life. So without further ado, let's jump right into today's message from The Spirit-Filled Life. Always had a smile on his face and his eyes closed. He's just walking around and, and I'm in my room and changing clothes and just, just having a hard time. And without missing a beat, he just walks by my room, just surrender and just keeps on going. And oh my gosh, it made me so mad. I ran out in the hallway and I was like, I am surrendered. I was like clenching my fist and shaking, red mad. Um, turns out that being somewhere you don't want to be isn't necessarily surrendered. It, it, <laughs> I thought because I was like, I'm here, I'm following these rules that I'm surrendered. But, but there's a, another level of, of being surrendered. And, and we're going to talk about some of that this morning. But first, I, I want to look at some examples of what it can mean to what, what can happen if we live a life that isn't fully surrendered to God, that isn't fully surrendered to his spirit. So first we're going to look at King Saul. Um, In the book of Samuel, Samuel was a prophet in the Old Testament, and he was instructed by God to anoint Saul as king of Israel. And so we see in, in 1 Samuel 10, verse 1, it says, Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it over Saul's head. He kissed Saul and said, I'm doing this because the Lord has appointed you to be the ruler over Israel, his special possession. So we see that pouring on, that anointing of oil. We know that that is often a representation of the Spirit of God. And then last week, Pastor Todd talked about us getting, getting a new heart. And we see in verse 9, as Saul turned and started to leave, God gave him a new heart, and all Samuel's signs were fulfilled that day. So what does that mean about getting a new heart? In Ezekiel 36, in verse 25, it says, Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away. You will no longer worship idols, and I will give you a new heart I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Verse 27, I will put my spirit, capital S, in you that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. So we see that God has promised when he gives us a new heart, that he gives us a new spirit, he makes us a new person, a new creation, as it says in, in 1 Corinthians 15, But then he gives us his spirit. And part of that receiving his spirit, he says, you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. But as we go on, we see that that Saul Saul didn't didn't live up to that. He didn't stick to God's decrees and regulations. And 1 Samuel 15, it says, one day Samuel said to Saul, it was the Lord who told me, to anoint you as king of his people. Now listen to this message from the Lord. 
This is what the lords of heaven's armies have declared. I have decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Now go and completely destroy the entire Amalek nation. Men, women, children, babies, cattle, sheep, goats, camels, and donkeys. That's pretty all-inclusive instructions. Destroy everything. This is the decree from the Lord. This is the same prophet who made you king, giving this decree from the Lord. It says in verse 7, Then Saul slaughtered the Amalekites from whatever that H town is, all the way to Shur, east of Egypt. He captured Agag, the Amalite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best sheep and goats, the cattle, the fat calves, and the lambs, everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed only what was worthless or of poor quality. So God tells Saul, hey, I want you to destroy everything. Leave nothing. They spare the king, and then they're like, hey, well, man, this is some good stuff. We're, we're just going to keep this part. We'll just put this back over here. And so in verse 10, we see that the Lord said to Samuel, I am sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he has not been loyal to me and has refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved when he heard this that he cried out to the Lord all night. We see that that disobedience, that, that act of not listening, made the Lord regret, be sorry that he had ever made Saul the king of Israel. And so we see a little bit in, in some scripture in between that, that Samuel confronts Saul. He goes to Saul and he says, hey, man, the, the, the Lord gave you very clear instruction. And this is what you did. What, why have you done this? And, and how many of, of you, like myself, have been in that situation where you didn't really follow the instructions like you were supposed to? And so what do you do? Well, listen. This, this, this is, this is, I mean, that was, look at those fat calves. Look at that lamb. That's going to be good eating. We're going to have some brisket later on. We, we justify, we try to make it out like it's not that big a deal because we don't understand the scope of things. In verse 22, Samuel replied to, to this, you know, Saul's trying to make it out like it's not a big deal. In verse 22, Samuel finally says to him, what is more pleasing to the Lord? your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice. Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Many of us are familiar with that verse, but let's look at what, let's look at what verse 23 goes on to say. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Disobedience comes with consequences. 
When, when, when we are disobedient, we, we're going we're gonna to pay for it. Maybe not right then. Sometimes we think we've got away with it. But, but there is, there's, there's going to be some balance brought to things in our life. I know many times dealing with, with people in recovery and, and they give their life to the Lord and, and they've been to church three times and, and they're like, well, why? Why can't I see my kids? I've been going to church. Or why won't nobody give me a job? I've, I've uh, been clean two weeks. There's, there's consequences still of your actions. There's, there's consequences in my life that I, I still, there, there are things that, that show up in my history from when I was 18, 19 years old that are still a part of my life. There are consequences that I still have to bear. Now, can the Lord open the right doors for me? Absolutely. But there's still a consequence to be paid for our disobedience. Saul decided what he wanted in the moment was more important than obedience. If we look a little further back in Scripture, we see another example of choosing something right now over the long term in the story of Esau. In Genesis 25, so, so we have... Um, We have the two sons here, Esau and Jacob. And, and Jacob becomes the, the father of the tribes of Israel. And, and so we see here that one day Jacob was cooking some stew, and Esau arrived home from the wilderness exhausted and hungry. And Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. And Jacob said, all right, but trade me your rights as the firstborn son. See, see, back in these days, the, the, the firstborn son, they, they received inheritance. They received the, the, the bigger blessing from the father. There, there was a lot of privileges that came with being the firstborn son. And so Jacob said, trade me your rights as firstborn son. And, and Esau says, look, I'm dying of starvation. What good is my birthright to me right now? But Jacob said, first you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as the firstborn of his brother Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some stew. Esau ate the meal and then got up and left, and he showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. Later on in Genesis 27, Isaac said to Esau, I have made Jacob your master. So so Isaac is, is getting ready. Isaac is old. He can't see anymore. And, and there's a little deception that goes on here. But he's, he, he calls for Esau because he's at least going to pray a blessing over him. But Jacob deceives him a little bit. He gets some help from mom. And he, he receives Esau's blessing instead of Esau. Isaac said to Esau, I have made Jacob your master and declared that all his brothers will be his servant. I have guaranteed him an abundance of grain and wine. What is left for me to give you? Esau pleaded, but do you have only one blessing? Oh, my father, bless me too. So, so we see that because of that, that momentary decision, hey, I'm hungry, rather than make something for myself. Because Esau, had been out, he had been out hunting. He had, he had been out, that he wasn't just out wandering the wilderness. He had been out hunting. I'm sure he brought something back. But instead, he's like, hey, give me some of what you have. I, I want it right now. 
I, I want that stew right now. And so he's like, well, what good is my birthright? You can have it. You, you can have it. And so we see that momentary satisfaction can lead to long-term consequences. That, that giving in in that moment can, can lead to a, a lifetime and even more than a lifetime. Because not only did Esau lose his blessing from his father, not only did he lose his birthrights as the firstborn child, but if we look through history, Esau's descendants, his children, who are known as the Edomites, are known for being in constant conflict with God's people. And in fact, if we look in the Gospels, we see the account of King Herod, who decreed for all the, the children under two to be murdered in an attempt to wipe out Jesus. King Herod is an Edomite. He's a descendant of Esau. We see this separation from God and his people that this disobedience has caused. And the last example of a... Uh, of what happens if we're not fully surrendered comes in the story of Judas. Judas is one of the 12 disciples. He was the one who carried the money. He might've helped himself to a little bit of the money, but he eventually becomes the one who betrays Jesus, who sells Jesus for the price of a slave to the Pharisees and the Romans, which leads to his crucifixion. We see in John 13, in verse 2, that they're, they're getting ready for the Last Supper. It says it was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. So we have this man who has traveled every single day for three years, with the embodiment of, of God, with, with God in the flesh dwelling among us. He's traveled with him every day. He's seen him perform countless miracles, seen him rebuke and cast the devil out from people. And the devil prompted him. The, the devil whispered in his ear. You might say the devil tempted him. Listen, there, there's, I'm going to say there's no wrong at that point. There, there have been times when maybe I want to react a certain way or I want to do something that goes against God's will where, where, the, where the devil's saying, hey, you should do this. Hey, hey, this would be a, do, do this. This is a good idea. But the thing is that Scripture tells us to resist the devil and that he'll flee from us. There, Pastor Todd said a few weeks ago, I'll, I'll, never, I'll never forget this because it's the only time that I've heard Michael say amen. I think he's the only place in the whole sanctuary. He like hollered it out. But Tim, being tempted is not a sin. It's not a sin to be tempted. We're going to be tempted. We're going to be faced with sin. Jesus was tempted and it said that he led a sinless life. So being tempted is not the sin. It's giving into that. But we, so we, we all find ourselves tempted or prompted by the enemy. We can take heart that scripture tells us that if we resist him, that he'll flee. But we see no evidence of Judas resisting. Here he is 
with, with the one that they've declared the Messiah, that the Jewish people have been waiting for, have seen him do all these, these miracles. You know, we, I mean, we see so many accounts in Scripture, but if we look in the book of John, John tells us that Jesus did so many miracles that there's not enough paper to write them all down. And Judas has seen all this. And in verse 26, it says, Jesus responded, it is the one to whom I give the bread I dip in the bowl. He's talking about who is going to betray him because he's been telling them one of y'all is going to betray me. And all of them were like, surely not me, Lord. No, not me. I'm, I'm your guy. And Jesus says, it's the one who I give the bread I dip in this bowl. And when he dipped it, he gave it to Judas. And when Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered him. And Jesus told him, hurry up and do what you're going to do. So we see that by, by not here, he had this opportunity to surrender. Jesus says, one of y'all are going to betray me. He's already, prior to Jesus saying this, he's already been prompted. The devil has already said, hey, you should betray Jesus. 33 pieces of silver. You're going to be rich. I'm going to make you rich. He's already been, been prompted, been tempted. And Jesus is saying, one of y'all is going to do it. This is his opportunity to come forward and, and say, Lord, the devil is, is saying stuff to me, but I know he's a liar. I know that you're the king. Lord, help me. Help my unbelief. Help me, Lord. But instead, he, he, he gives in, and we see... Later on, after, after the, the events of, of the cross happened, that Judas was so overwhelmed by the guilt. So now, now the devil's gone. The devil's got what he needed. And, and here's your 33 pieces of silver. I'm out. See you later. You're not getting nothing else from me right now. You, you did what I needed you to do. See you later. And once that happened, that Judas was left feeling so overwhelmed that he took his own life. That, that he, he just couldn't bear to, to live with the, the consequences of his actions anymore. Friends, Judas spent three years every day with Jesus traveling, eating, living life together, one of the values that we have here at this church. He, he, he was living life together with Jesus, and he, he did many of the, the same things that we do together today as the body of Christ. Those actions are not enough to save us. Surrender is. It, it's not those, those actions that save us. When I, was, when I was going through and doing this prep and I got, I got to this part, I remembered when we were in, in men's Bible study and we were doing the study, Honors Reward by John Bevere. And, and he's talking about what honor truly looks like and how there's a biblical principle for honoring people. We're, we're, to, we're to honor those under us, we're to honor those next to us, and we're to honor those above us. And the, all, of that is, all of that is scriptural, but it, it really broke down different, you know, honoring different people in, in our lives. And it got to the part where it was talking about honoring those who lead us. And I had thought that I was honoring a leader in my life because I was doing what, what he told me. 
This leader would tell me to do something. Whatever he said, I would do it. But I did it with a wrong heart. My heart wasn't surrendered to his leadership. Early on in Scripture, it said that Esau had contempt for his birthright. I had contempt for this, this person that God had put in my life. I had contempt for his leadership, but thought I was honoring him because I, yes, sir, and did whatever he said. And when we seen this, the Spirit convicted me, and I later went to that leader, and I, I pulled him aside, and I I explained all this to him, and, and I apologized. I repented to him. And, and man, just weight came off, chains came off. Things, things started happening. It wasn't awkward to be around him anymore. Good stuff started happening because of that act of surrender to, to his leadership. So what does it look like to lead a life surrendered to the Holy Spirit? So the first thing, it's about humility and obedience. I tried to do the fill in the blank like Pastor Todd does. So I, I hope I left y'all enough room in them blanks, but I didn't give no hints away. Sometimes I feel like he makes it too easy where y'all can be looking ahead and fill in the blank. You don't have to really be paying attention. Humility and obedience. Surrendering our pride and submitting to God's authority. James 4 and 6 says, And he gives us grace generously. As the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I don't know about you, but I need, I need grace. I, 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 need, I needed grace yesterday. I'll need it tomorrow. I need it right now. And so it, it takes that being humble. It takes that submission. Humble yourselves before the Lord. He'll lift you up in honor. First Peter 5 and 6 says, So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, not when you're ready, but at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. You have to cultivate a heart willing to obey the prompting to the Holy Spirit. In, in John 14 and verse 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, If you love me, obey my commandments. Super simple, but what I love, and I know that, this, that the little headings, some, some of you may have a Bible that has headings in it that, that divide up the different sections of Scripture, and I know that wasn't originally written there, but I do think there's some divine inspiration behind those. And I, I found it very interesting that immediately before that verse, the heading is Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. And then the next line is, if you love me, obey my commands. I'm going to send you my spirit, but if you love me, obey my commands. Romans 8, 14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So the next characteristic of, of a, a surrendered life to the Holy Spirit is dependence and trust. We have to recognize our need for, for the Holy Spirit's guidance and, and power. I remember one time I was, I was out in front of a Sam's Club in, in Oklahoma, and we were doing storefront ministry when I was with Teen Challenge. That's, I'm sure many of you guys have been to Walmart or somewhere and seen the guys out front selling crosses. That's what storefront ministry is. We were out in front of Sam's Club. It was early in the morning. Not a lot of people are, are coming to Sam's at uh, 9.30 on a Friday morning. 
we're out there and this, this gentleman comes up and, and he's like, what, what are you guys? And, and he, he's got a little bit of an accent and he's never heard of us. And I begin to tell him about our program and stuff like that. He's just fascinated. And, and he begins to, to tell me his story about how he's from Czechoslovakia and he felt the Holy Spirit prompt him to move to America prompt him to move his family to America, prompt him to start his little construction remodel business, all of these things. And, and he's, he, he's taking a lot longer to tell this story than I am. And as he's talking to me, I'm, I'm like the point guy. I'm standing in front of the table and I've got the little donation box in my hand. And my job is as people come out of the store to say, hey, will you donate a dollar to Teen Challenge and change somebody's life? And I'm watching all these people go by. I'm like, I'm, I'm missing money. Like I'm, 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 I got to get my $10 so I can get a hamburger after here. Because if you hit your goal, I wasn't taking money. If you hit your goal, uh, you get $10. You get, you get a fundraising goal, and if you hit it, you get $10, and you can go buy a hamburger instead of eating what was made back at the, the program. It was a big reward. <laughs> but anyway, he's sitting there talking to me and talking to me, and then he, he tells me about this, he, I mean, he's telling me about how he just trusts the Holy Spirit with every aspect of his life. And he's telling me about when he first started his business and he's doing this bathroom remodel and he's redoing the tile. And he's worried that he didn't buy enough tile. And he hasn't got paid for, for the job yet. And, and he's embarrassed to ask the people for, for money when he hasn't finished the job and he doesn't have the money to go buy more tile. And so the, he asked the Holy Spirit to show him how to put in that tile. And he ended up with a half inch piece of tile left over. The, the Holy Spirit, what kind of dependence is that? To, to trust that we, we often think about when we're, when we're talking about trusting the Holy Spirit and, and being dependent on the Holy Spirit, that it's with the big high level things. You know, uh, my, my family member's sick or, or my only child is leaving the country tomorrow or all these things that we, that we trust. <laughs> I'm trusting the Holy Spirit with that one. <laughs> you know, we, we trust the Holy Spirit with these big things. But, but Scripture tells us if we're faithful with the little, that he'll bless us with even more. Are, are, you, are you asking the Holy Spirit, Lord, what, what will you have me do today? Lord, I'm about to go to H-E-B. If there's somebody there I need to talk to, will you show them to me? Look, asking for these, these little things. Lord, I, I know that at church all the time they, they, they say that saved people serve. I don't know where to serve. Lord, will you show me? At, at children's, ministry, children's ministry, the tech ministry. We, <laughs> we, we, have a, we have a list. But asking him, and, and if it's taking out the trash, then take out the trash. If it's if it's washing the coffee canisters after church, then wash the coffee canisters after church. 
if it's putting up tables and sweeping the floor. It may not be speaking on the platform. It may not be being part of the worship team right away. But if we're faithful with the little, then he'll bless us with, with the big. Romans 8, 26 says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. The, the third thing of a life surrendered to the Holy Spirit is, is this. Surrendering control. It's seeking God's will. Here we have in, in Matthew 26, we have God in the flesh among us, able to conduct all sorts of miracles. His disciples have already asked him once to call down fire, and, and he's said, no, we're not, we're not going to. I want to call down fire, but we're not going to do that. That's why I'm not Jesus, because I was just like, <laughs> got y'all. But in Matthew 26, we, we see Jesus because Scripture tells us that he was fully God and he was fully human. So he experienced emotions. He experienced things just like we do, and it's getting close to the time for him to be arrested. This, this is the hard part. This is the hard part. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be ridiculed. He's going to be made fun of. He's going to be beaten until he's unrecognizable as a man and then have to carry, a cro carry the cross that they're going to nail him to through a crowd up a hill to where they're going to nail him to a cross and leave him hanging there to die. This is the hard part. And he's known from the beginning that this is going to happen. And he's told his disciples this is going to happen. And even Peter, Peter says, no, Lord, we're not going to let that happen to you. And he says, get behind me, Satan. This is the will of God. But we see in Matthew 26, verse 39, Jesus is, is in the garden and, and he goes a little further away from his disciples. And he bowed with his face to the ground and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Jesus didn't want to take on that burden. He, 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 he said, Lord, if there's a way that we could do this, if we can redeem your people another way, let's do that. But if this is your will, let it be done in me. Romans 12.2, many of us are familiar with Romans 12.2. I've heard Romans 12.2 a whole bunch of times, but I, this is the first time I think I've read it in the NLT, and I really like it. It says, don't copy the behavior or customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for your life, which is good and pleasing. Ephesians 5, 17, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. I'm going to turn around when I say this. Don't be drunk with the Spirit, or don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Don't be, I'm not looking at any of y'all. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So now, now that we know what it looks like, 
to live a life surrendered to God. How do we do that? Number one is this. It's through prayer and seeking God's presence. We pray and we seek God's presence. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers. For all believers everywhere, not just for yourself. Pray for all believers everywhere. Isaiah 30, 21 says, Your own ears will hear him. Right behind you, a voice will say, This is the way you should go, whether to the left or to the right. If we'll trust in God, if we'll listen for his voice, he'll talk to us. Number two is this, studying and applying God's word. Psalms 119, 9 through 16. We were talking, this Wednesday we watched the last session from from Men's Summit. A lot of the guys got to go to Men's Summit. Um, But for those of us who didn't get to go, we, we got to watch the the, the replay of it, and we went through it together as, as men. And uh, Tim Ross is speaking. And he says he's going to read Joshua chapter 3. And he's like, don't worry, it's only a few verses. And Jamie and I are sitting next to each other. And we're like, at least it's not Psalms 119. And Psalms, for those of you who don't know, Psalms 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. And, but I, I want to read a little bit of it to you right now. In Psalms 119, verse 9, it says, How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I praise you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. I have recited out loud all the regulations you have given us. I have rejoiced in your laws as much as in riches. I will study your commandments and reflect on your ways. I will delight in your decrees and not forget your word. All of, all of Psalms 119 is, is very similar to that part where it's just talking about putting God's word in your heart, memorizing scripture, getting to know scripture, getting to know what God's word said and what his will for you is. And, and it's so important to stay constantly getting in, getting into to the word. Because when, when I was in Teen Challenge, I remember I had a, a leader tell me one time that when we first come to Christ, we're like a, a mason jar. Follow me. This is a country example. We're like a mason jar filled with muddy water. But if you take that mason jar and you put it under the sink, and you start to put clean water into it. It's going to start to push that dirty water out. But you got to put a whole lot of clean water in it. You got to keep pouring into it and pouring into it and pouring into it. And eventually what is in that jar will become clean. It's the same thing with us, friends. There's a whole lot of mud in here. We got to pour God's word in, pour God's word into our heart. Let others, let godly men and women come into our lives and pour into us so we can get that dirt and that mud and that muck and that grime out of our life. The word of God is alive and powerful. Hebrews 4.12 is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit and between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. And my last point is this. Yielding to the Holy Spirit's promptings. Yielding to the Holy Spirit's promptings. 
Jesus tells us in John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. Yielding to the Holy Spirit's promptings. I mentioned this learning about Joshua chapter three and, and, and men's summit. And I think what Tim Ross said was a powerful message because he tells about how Joshua had seen Moses told to go to the Red Sea and go up to the edge and lift his staff and the waters parted. But Joshua was given a different instruction. The priests were to take the Ark of the Covenant and walk out into the water and get their feet wet and step out into the water. It was a powerful message, but we can't just look at what God has told other people. We have to look at what God is telling us and submit to that. What does it look like to, to live a life surrendered to the Holy Spirit? It's humility and obedience, dependence and trust, surrendering control, and seeking God's word, seeking God's will. I think about this a story that a friend of mine relayed to me. When I, when I got to Teen Challenge, there was a, a guy who had already been there quite a while. And it was actually his, his second time there. He had gone once before and he quit early. And then so he came back and had been there a while. And that's when I met him and he graduated. And then he ended up having to go back for what they call restoration. And he quit restoration and he went back again and went through restoration. And, and my friend and, and some of the leaders up there were talking about me and they were talking about what God was was doing through me. And, and this guy said, wow. That dude took his program serious. That dude took his program serious. I know a lot of what I just said about how, how do we live a life surrendered to the Spirit. Pray and seeking God's presence and seeking His will. It wasn't anything groundbreaking. It wasn't anything you probably haven't already heard this month. But are you taking it serious? Are you taking God's commands seriously in your life? Today is the, the, the day of Pentecost. When Jesus resurrected, he appeared to 500 people. And he told them, wait for me here in Jerusalem and I will send my spirit. But on this day, 2000 years ago, there were only 120 there. I wonder if the rest of them took him seriously. If they took him serious and obeyed him. And, and we don't know, maybe, maybe some of them heard what was happening and they, and they came rushing back. Maybe some of them were in that 3,000 that were saved that day. Maybe some of them came along later. I hope they did. But the fact of the matter is they didn't take him seriously and they missed out on seeing the Spirit of God fall on his people 
for the first time. They missed out on that initial power and filling of the Holy Spirit because they didn't take what God said seriously. I know I've missed out on things in my life because I haven't taken what God said seriously. Will you stand with me this morning? James 1.22 says, this is another verse that we've heard before, but I love what it says in the NLT. Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. Taylor asked me and Michael to, to read a book called The Master Plan of Evangelism by Dr. Robert Coleman. And this line, when I read it, really stood out to me. He said, there is no place in the kingdom for a slacker. For such an attitude not only precludes any growth in grace and knowledge, but also destroys usefulness on the world battlefield of evangelism. We've got to take our salvation serious. We have to take what God wants to do in our lives seriously. I've, since coming to know the Lord, I've, I've lost people close to me. Some to suicide, some to overdose, some to accidents. And, and after they pass, I hear people say or see them on social media and they say that heaven is celebrating. Friends, being a good person doesn't get you into heaven. Being a nice guy does not give, get you into heaven. God gives us a command of how to get into heaven. Are you taking that seriously? With every head bowed and, and eye. Thanks for tuning in to the Odessa First Assembly podcast. If you've enjoyed today's message, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode. You can also follow us on social media for updates and inspirational content throughout the week. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Odessa First AG. And if you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us in person for our Sunday morning services at 1030 a.m. You can also catch our live stream on Facebook, YouTube, and Church Online. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time on the Odessa First Assembly podcast.